All right, guys, we are in week six so far in our series of Colossians, and to, after today, we're going to be taking a little bit of a break. Uh, next week, we have our Mission Sunday, and we're going to be giving an update on how things are going down in Jamaica through Sea Glass Ministries, and then also we're going to be giving an update on how things are going in Malawi with Timothy Harvest Missions over there on the other side of the world. And uh, so next week's service is going to be completely different than what you know a normal service is like, and so I'm excited for that. Then after that, the, the next week, uh, we have uh, Paul Jeffries is going to be speaking on his series that he's been going through the book of Revelation. The week after that, Josh Watson is going to be preaching, and then the week after that is Palm Sunday already. I don't know if you knew this or not, but Resurrection Sunday is very early this year, and so uh, Palm Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we're going to do kind of a mini two-week series. Uh, but we'll pick right back up in, in April. So we're going to take a break from Colossians in the month of March. So don't forget everything you've learned. Okay? We're going to pick it up in April, and then we'll just go with it to finish all the way up in June. So that's a little update of what's ahead. Today is on Colossians. We're going to be wrapping up chapter 1 and then moving a little bit into chapter 2. Last week, we only had three verses to cover. Today, we have 11 verses to cover. So don't think you're getting to lunch early today. The Catholics and Lutherans are going to beat you today, okay? That's just the way it's going to be. There's going to be a line. But uh, let's go ahead and read our passage out loud that we normally do every week. Um, it'll be on the screen behind me. You ready? Here we go. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim... Warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. A lot there. So let's get right into it. You ready? All right. Verse 24, it says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, because in my flesh I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, before I get into this, refresh my memory, third service, tell me, where is Paul writing this letter from? Prison. He is in prison. He's being held captive in prison because of following Jesus all because of preaching the gospel of Jesus. That is literally why he is in prison. And so that's the background of this statement. And Paul comes right out and says something here that is both bold and a bit daring, yet in my opinion, I think it's kind of awesome to ponder. 
He's basically saying that his suffering is completing the suffering of Jesus himself. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, here's the point of what he's saying. Jesus, he suffered to save his church. He died to save his church. But the church needs to be built up. It needs to be taken care of. It needs to be extended. It needs to be kept strong. It needs to be kept pure. It needs to be kept true. So therefore, anyone who serves the church by extending its border, by growing and establishing its faith, preaching and teaching to protect it from heirs, that person is essentially doing the work of Christ. Okay? Now here's the deal. That kind of service always involves suffering. Okay? The kingdom of darkness is going to come against that person for doing what he or she is doing. That is just the absolute truth. There's no getting around that. But here's the cool part about it. By doing such things like that for the church, you are sharing. Did you catch that? You are sharing in the very suffering of Christ himself. You're joining Christ in his suffering. How awesome is that? So if you are a Sunday school teacher and you are teaching young kids about Jesus, how to follow Jesus, you're teaching them the word of God, guess what? You are going to be hit by the enemy. I promise you, you will. If you are teaching, you're, you're a youth leader and you're trying to help young kids to follow Jesus and navigate following Jesus in this horrible world we live in, you're gonna get hit by the enemy, I promise you. If you lead Bible studies for men or women or you lead a life group, you're going to get hit by the enemy. You are going to suffer. But here's the beauty, you are suffering with Jesus. To suffer in the service of Christ is not a penalty, guys. It's a privilege. Why? Because you're sharing in Christ's work, amen? amen? Jesus even said that. He says, listen, if they persecuted me, guess what? They're gonna persecute you. There's no getting around that. So we join him in his suffering. Very cool thing to consider. Paul goes on, he says, I became, became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, these are interesting verses, and I, I think it's important for everyone to understand this. I'll say this, if you've taken Discipleship 1, then you, you've, we've covered this in Discipleship 1. Okay? If you haven't taken Discipleship 1, I would encourage you to please do so at some point, and I would, I'd say sooner than later. But if you have, you will know that on the first week of class, I will talk about this very topic. And I'll basically introduce it by reading a little passage in Matthew. Here, I'll show it to you behind me. It's in Matthew 13. It says, all things Jesus said to the crowd was in parables. Indeed, nothing to them with, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth with parables, and I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. And then I'll open up to the class and I'll say, okay, guys, what do you think? What has been hidden since the creation of this world, since the foundation of this world? What is Jesus talking about? Well, this is exactly what Paul is talking about here in Colossians. Paul is basically saying, I have been commissioned by God himself to be the one who goes out to the whole world and I'm to be making known this mystery that has been hidden. Now, what is this mystery? Let me show you in the book of Ephesians because Ephesians lays it out clearly. 
Verse 1, 2, and 3, and 4, and 5, he's explaining why he's been given this job and why he's doing it. But in verse 6, he says this. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So guys, the awesome mystery hidden since the creation of this world is that God all along was planning on inviting all of mankind into his family. His plan of salvation and eternal glory wasn't just for one people group. It wasn't for just one race of people. It was for all people groups. It was for all races of people. Everyone, Jews and Gentiles, are invited to be fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of the inheritance of Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the kingdom of God. Everyone is welcome, amen? Now that would have blown any Jew's mind. They would have been like, what? And that would have blown every Gentile's mind. They would have been like, what? It would have freaked them out because Jews and Gentiles were like oil and water. Gentiles were considered pagans and unclean and horrible, sinful people who everyone thought God would never want. I mean, they were rejected by God. There's a huge divide there, but that was never God's plan. His great mysterious plan was to join all of us into one big family. Now, if you're a Gentile here this morning, if you're a non-Jew, this should cause you to stand up and shout because this is good news for us. And it was a mystery. It had been hidden since the foundation of the world. God had been keeping it hidden. So God gave Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, the job to go out throughout the entire world and to preach this amazing secret or mystery that had been kept hidden. And so that's why Paul, in a sense, he's our apostle. He's an apostle to the Gentiles. Had it not been for him, guys, Christianity could have just been like a different form of Judaism. If Paul had not done his job, what God asked him to do, we might not have heard this good news, but God did do what God asked him to do, and that's awesome. Paul did do it. <clears throat> Let's look at verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, look at that verse right there and tell me, is there anyone Paul's leaving out? No. No one is left out. <clears throat> and we talked about this a few weeks ago. There are so many things that so many people are left out of. I mean, they may want to be part of something or do something or be something, but they will never be able to. It just isn't possible. We're left out of many things in this life. For instance, I have always wanted to be able to run fast. <laughs> Not that funny, Jerry. <laughs> no, it's true. I've always been slow, and it drives me crazy. I play softball in the one of the church softball teams. There's three uh, in the church, and I mean, we won the championship, but it's not that big a deal. Uh, <laughs> but I play softball, and I always love watching the fast runners. I mean, it's incredible. They'll get up, they'll hit the ball in the air, and they're like, they'll run around first. They're halfway to second before the ball even lands, or it gets in, you know, in someone's glove. Me. I get up to bat, and what's running through my mind is, Luke, crush this as far as you can just so that I can get to first base. 
And so I will crush it and I'll be running as hard as I can. And it's like a photo finish. The ball's coming, I'm running, and the ump has to make a hard call because I barely make it almost every time. I'm so slow. In fact, I've noticed that a lot of people running from first to second, a lot of them will overrun second and then they get tagged out. You ever seen that done? They're running so fast, they run, they run past it and they get tagged out. And I'm just like, what is their problem? I have this amazing ability to stop on a dime. And I was bragging about it one time in the dugout. I'm just like, you know, I don't know why people run long. I, I, I'm able to just like stop on second base and not get tagged. And the guy I was talking to says, well, that's because you're so slow, Luke. I was like, well, that's a fair point. I never thought about that before, but that's true. No matter what I do, guys, or whatever I want, I will never run fast. And I could go on and on about all the things we're left out on. I mean, too short to ride on this ride, too tall to fit in this car, too, you know, your eyes aren't good enough to be a Navy pilot, you're not smart enough to be a doctor. I mean, on and on. There's so many things that so many people are left out of. But here's the beauty of what Paul's saying. Jesus Christ is available to who? Everyone. That's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. You know, even Jesus proclaimed this. Because at the time Jesus walked this earth, the religious elite they were rejecting, they were pushing people out. They were saying things like, oh, you're sick? God must be rejecting you. Oh, you're poor, you don't have money. Well, obviously God must be rejecting you. Oh, you're a sinner. <laughs> obviously God must be rejecting you. You gave birth to a blind man? Well, God must not want you at all. You're a Gentile? <laughs> God is rejecting you, he wants nothing to do with you. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he's like, no, 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 no. Everyone is welcome. Everyone. The poor, the sick, the sinners, the Gentiles. No one's rejected. Christ is available to all. And Paul, as a minister of the gospel, is proclaiming this Jesus to everyone. Notice what he says. I'm warning everyone. I'm teaching everyone so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul wants everyone to have Jesus, and I love that. Now, this is an important concept to consider because remember last week or two weeks ago I mentioned that Paul is combating the Gnostic belief system? And Paul right here, he is hitting the Gnostic belief system smack between the eyes because the Gnostics, they believed in a secret knowledge, okay? A hidden secret knowledge that only a select, privileged few could comprehend or even grasp. This Gnostic belief system wasn't for everyone. Only the super wise and the super intellectuals, the super elite. So if you weren't any of those, I'm sorry, but this isn't for you, okay? You're beneath this. And so Paul is combating that type of thinking here, and he's saying, no, 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 I'm proclaiming Jesus to everyone. I'm warning everyone. I'm teaching everyone so that I can present everyone mature in Christ. Jesus is for everyone. Now look what he says. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now I want to pause for a second because I really like this statement here, but let me ask you guys a question here. When you read this verse, tell me, does it look like Paul's just sitting around on his rear letting God do all the work? No, not at all. And I kind of have a pet peeve with this a lot with Christianity because I've noticed that a lot of Christians, we, we try to act spiritual in our little sayings and we say things like, Christ does everything in my life. I can do nothing. 
And we like to quote our little verse here that we think backs it up when we say, even Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And then, guess what we end up doing? Nothing. Nothing. Now, think about that verse for a second. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And he's right. Apart from him, we can do nothing. If we're separated from Christ, if we're not attached to the vine, if we're still part of the kingdom of darkness, it's true, we can do nothing. But Jesus isn't saying that once we are connected to him, we do nothing. Not at all. And I hate to say this, third service, but if we do nothing, I promise you it is certainly without Jesus. We can't look at our Christian life that way. This is not what the Christian life is meant to be. It requires our effort. It requires our hard work. It requires our struggle. Yes, God works in us. And you know what? Don't worry about God. He will do his part. His grace is doing things in us and and through us that we could never do on our own. Don't worry about him. He's not the one we have to worry about. In our relationship with God, there are things we must do. Remember, it's a relationship. We must put effort in. We must toil. We must work and work hard. Now, this does not mean that we're trying to earn our salvation or anything for that matter. But guys, grace is not opposed to effort. Sure, it's opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. We must apply effort in our Christian lives. And there's no getting around that. Please understand that. For instance, let me give you just an analogy. You guys know who is the absolute best running back of all time ever in human history? Thank you. Walter Payton. I love it. Third service, you're the best. I mean, obviously, because he's on the Chicago Bears. 1985, 86 Bears. Duh, Bears. Okay? Now, here's even a picture of him. He's just outrunning the Packers. I mean, he is, he's a stud running back. (laughs) but no guys this guy was talented so athletic so fast so nimble I mean he could turn on a dime he could run the opposite direction then boom 90 degrees be in another direction I mean he God had given him some amazing incredible athletic abilities amazing abilities so did Walter just sit around and not train at all because he had such amazing abilities not at all not even close When it came to training, Walter Payton was one of the most hardcore athletes of his time. He pushed himself to the limits every day. You know that Walter Payton, during the football season, every single day, he would do hill sprints. He'd run up this hill at least 20 times, nothing less than 20 times he would do this during the football season. Now, when it came to the off-season, Walter pushed himself even harder. He would return to his home state in Mississippi, and and where he lived in Mississippi was right near uh, the Pearl River, and what he did is he set up an obstacle course on the shores of the river, and during the hottest part of the day in the summer, he would run through that obstacle course over and over and over again. He was always working, always pushing himself. Now, there's an example of a man who didn't just sit around and allow his his athleticism to carry him. No, he worked hard. And Paul did the same, but in a different way. It says, for this I toil. In other words, I'm working my tail off. I'm struggling hard with all of his energy that he so powerfully works in me. Paul's work was being empowered by God's mighty strength, but God's strength in Paul's life didn't mean he did nothing. No, he worked hard. 
He toiled hard. He struggled hard. Do you see that word struggling there? The root word in the Greek means it has to do with competing in the games, the Olympic games. And in another verse in Corinthians, Paul says, run the race in such a way as to what? Win the race. In other words, don't just jog this race. Run it. Just because God's power flows through us doing things that we can't doesn't mean we don't put all of our effort into it. And that's what Paul did. And it wasn't for fame, it wasn't for a football game, it wasn't for money, anything like that. It was for the kingdom of God. It was for the church. It was for a group of people that he didn't even know. In verse two it says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Now this is an interesting glimpse into Paul's heart here. He's telling him, he's saying, listen guys, I want you to know how much I struggle for you. You need to know that. For people that I don't even know, I am struggling for you. Now that word in the Greek is agon or agon. I don't know how to pronounce it. But we get an English word from that Greek word. Anybody want to tell me what it is? Agony, exactly. Paul is struggling for these people. He's agonizing for these people. Now when we hear that, the first question that pops in our mind is how? How is he struggling for his people? And we don't know exactly what the answer to that question is, but we can guess. And the first way that I think he was struggling for these people, we could say this, is he struggled in prayer. Now, I know that sounds so spiritual. Paul was struggled in prayer for the churches. Oh, it's so spiritual. I know it sounds spiritual, but guys, here's the reality. He did. Think about it for a second. Paul was in prison. He was locked up. And here are all these little fledgling churches, some that he planted, some that he didn't, but they're learning how to walk with Jesus. They're learning how to experience eternal life. But guys, they're surrounded by darkness. They're surrounded by false prophets. They're surrounded by wolves that are snarling and wanting to pounce on them at any second. And Paul can't be there to protect them in person. And I can't imagine how hard that must have been for him. I'm sure Paul would have loved to have been there in person and to confront the false prophets head on. I'm sure he would have loved to be there in person and to hit these wolves head on to protect the flock, but he couldn't. He was in prison. There had come a time in Paul's life where there was nothing left to do but to pray. What he could not do himself, he must leave to God. And so I'm positive Paul wrestled in prayer for those who he, he's never even met before. Guys, I want you to see this, and I need you to pay attention to this. When time and distance and circumstances separate us from people that we love and we want to help so bad, there is always one way left to help them. What is it? Prayer. And honestly, guys, this may be the best way we can help them, through prayer. But I wonder if there was another struggle, too, um, and this is just conjecture on my part, but I don't think it's a stretch. It may well be that there was another struggle going on in Paul's mind because Paul was a human being with all of man's natural problems, and he was in prison awaiting trial from Nero. And guys, the outcome of this trial was almost certainly going to be death. So think about it. Paul woke up every day going, this may be the day I'm put to death. And that was a reality. Imagine being on death row, sitting in prison, all because you chose to follow and preach Jesus. Imagine that. That's what Paul's going through. Now, here's the deal. I'm sure the enemy was working on him. I'm sure the enemy was coming against him day after day. And Paul's just like us. He's flesh and blood. I'm sure he faced discouragement. 
I'm sure he faced sadness. I'm sure he faced loneliness, maybe even depression. Who knows? And all because of his stance of being a follower of Jesus, that's what got him into this mess. Following and proclaiming Jesus is what got him into this mess. And I'm pretty confident that all it would take is for Paul to say, you know what, I I deny Jesus. I, I really don't believe any of this stuff anymore. And they probably would have let him just walk out free. You're free to go, sir. But Paul was a servant of Jesus Christ first and foremost. He did only what his Lord told him to do. And on top of that, he knew that he was being watched and observed by hundreds, maybe even thousands of people that he'd led to the Lord. Paul knew very well that for him to walk away from the faith would have been disastrous in the consequences for all these young churches. If these young churches knew that Paul had denied Christ, guys, their hearts would have been ripped right out of their chest. And for many of them, it would have been the end of Christianity. His struggle was not for himself alone. It was for the people who were watching him. He was their leader. He was their father in the faith. And so his actions and his words and his attitude were all being watched and observed. Was this Jesus Christ that Paul preached truly sufficient for Paul and what he's dealing with in his life? Well, how he lived his life would be an example of proof of that. You know, Paul often told the churches, he says, you know, guys, do as I do. Follow my example as I follow Jesus's. So his struggle, I'm sure, involved his daily attitude and his daily actions while being held in prison for the sake of Christ. And he knew that. So he had to live accordingly. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. Listen to this as well. We would do well to remember that in any situation, any situation, there are those who are watching us. And our actions will either confirm or destroy their faith. And that truth right there scares the living tar out of me. It just does. You know, I remember one time, we, my wife and I were up in Door County several years ago, and we were up with a couple friends, and we were in one of the little shops there. They were selling wines, and they had little snacks out and everything, and I didn't eat much, so I kept walking by the little chips and dip and grabbing a little one bit and, you know, acting like it was the first time. And I'm like, oh, look at this dip again. I'd take another bite. And, and after about half an hour, my wife looking at little things, I cleaned out the, the chip bowl. And uh, at one point, I was standing, at, at, I think, at the counter, and somebody came up to me and says, hey, are you, are you the pastor of Whitestone in Economwalk? And I'm like, oh. I'm like, did they see me eat all the chips and all the dip and everything? But my first thought was like, oh my word, I am a long way from church, and yet I'm being watched, I'm being observed. And I was like, oh. you know, it really kind of put a fear of God in me. One time I was going to Sports Authority. You remember Sports Authority that was in Delfield and it shut down? Uh, I'd bought something there, and uh, it was a piece of junk, so I was going to return it, and I was all ready. I was coming. I'm, I'm terrible at this, but I was ready. I was going to let them know why this product was a piece of junk, and I need to get my money back, and so I come to the counter, and I'm, I'm over there. I sit up on the counter, and the lady goes, I know who you are. You're the pastor at Whitestone. So I'm like, huh? So I'm like having to re-figure out how I'm going to approach this whole little product thing. And it, because we're being watched. I remember my wife and I were at a restaurant one time, and um, I ordered, my wife ordered, and they completely butchered my wife's order. Thankfully, they got mine right, and I could just keep eating. 
But my, my wife, they went back and they tried to fix it and it took them forever to make it. And I was done with my meal and we were ready to go before the meal even come, came. And, and thankfully, we were really sweet to the server, sweet to the, the store owner and everything. And at the very end, when we were paying and getting ready to walk away, the server came up to us and said, hey, you're the pastor of Whitestone, aren't you? And I'm like, sweet daddy, I'm so glad that we were nice this time. You know what I'm saying? It's like we're being, we're being observed. Guys, here's what I want you to see. Our struggle to live a godly life is never for just us alone. Our actions will affect the faith of others who are looking to us as an example. Parents, your kids are watching you. So live accordingly. Your neighbors are watching you. So live accordingly. And guys, let me ask you a question. When can we ever let our guard down? Never. We're being watched. We're being observed. And so when we live to follow Jesus, it's not just for our own sake, it's for others as well. And that's basically exactly what Paul's saying here to the Colossians. That's why he's struggling so hard. And why is he struggling so hard? Here's why. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He wanted to encourage their hearts. Paul knows that discouragement is the enemy's territory. And ongoing suffering can lead to great discouragement. And I'll tell you, that can make us easy prey for the enemy. There isn't a person here who doesn't understand that. And we have people right now here in our Whitestone family currently experiencing this. They face battle after battle after battle, and they can't seem to get a win. And they keep clinging to Jesus, and they keep, keep trusting in Jesus, but man, it's so easy to let discouragement come in. And you guys know who you are. I just want to say to you, don't give up. Don't give in. I know the enemy is after you. Don't let him win. Know that your brothers and your sisters, they're struggling for you. The leadership of the church is struggling for you. That's what we're called to do for each other. And we can learn from the example of Paul because he's doing that for them. He wanted the people to be encouraged. He also wanted them to be knit together in love. How many of you here, uh, you do knitting? You have you guys? Jerry, I didn't know you were in school. All right. My wife got into knitting a few years ago, and uh, I, I think it's funny because a lot of women they, the, who are knitters, they, they make their grandchild's little sweaters and little hats and little mittens and perfect little you know, things that they, their grandkids wear, and they have multiple grandchildren that they do it for Christmas, and it's just awesome. I think my wife is still on her first dishcloth from three years ago. First dishcloth, knitting. We have so many dirty dishes in our kitchen waiting for that dishcloth to be done. It's crazy. No, thankfully, we can buy dishcloths. But it's something she enjoys, and she wants to keep learning and doing. Um, I don't think any of our grandkids are ever going to get clothing from her. The first one may get a dishcloth. I don't know. Uh, but Paul says he wanted them to be knit together in love. And I really like that visual because that's what love does. When we choose to love each other, we, in a sense, hold on to each other, okay? We're knit together. And that's the beauty of love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrong. 
Love goes on and on and on, and it never fails. And that's why it is able to knit together a group of followers of Jesus, a group of flawed people, a group of really different people, a group of people who have crazy different personalities and different backgrounds, and we're able to be knit together as one. That's what love does. Whitestone, we need to be knit together in love. And the beauty of that, and we've talked about this many times, is that when we are knit together in love and we're living out that life of love and the world looks at us, guess who they see? They see Jesus. They see that we're disciples of Jesus. Now, you have to see why Paul is saying all this. You have to remember he's in prison. He can't be there to protect them or fight off the enemies or stand against the false teachers. He's in prison hundreds and hundreds of miles away. So he's writing in such a way to get them to be very careful to not be deceived by the enemy. He's saying, don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. You need courage to live this life, to stand against the enemy. Be knit together in love. No man is an island. You can't live alone and think you're gonna make it. Be knit together with other believers in love. Love's gonna keep you together and safe. And why does he want that? So that you reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. He wanted the Colossian church to understand, to have a full understanding and a knowledge of God's mystery. Guys, understanding is so important. In phase one discipleship, we talk about understanding, and we we learn that if you don't have understanding, the enemy comes and plucks what you do have, and he takes it away. We have to have understanding. We must understand the message of the kingdom of God. And Paul wants the Colossian church to come to a full understanding and knowledge of God's mystery so they can reach the riches of having a full assurance. Assurance comes from understanding. If you lack understanding, it's hard to be assured of anything. If you don't have understanding, you'll be distressed, you'll be discouraged, it'd be hard to know what even to do. And Paul wanted the Colossian church to have a full understanding so that they could have a full assurance. Paul knew that they needed to be unified, knit together in love. They needed to grow in the truth, and they had to grow in understanding so that they could experience this assurance. Now, remember, Paul is in prison struggling, agonizing to make sure that they knew all this, and he did not want them to be led astray. And that's why he's writing this. Look at what he continues to say in verse 4. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Paul is concerned that they're going to be led astray. He doesn't want the enemy to deceive them. He doesn't want the enemy to delude them. And let me tell you, the enemy is so good at that. There were people all over the place, and even still today, who are being used by the enemy to deceive others from the truth. Guys, I tell you this, I know it sounds so juvenile and it sounds so simple, but it's, it's the absolute truth. Let me ask you guys a question. What do deceivers do? They deceive. Like I said, I know it sounds simple. They deceive. They don't start out their deception when they're talking to you. They don't start out by saying, all right, guys, listen, what I'm about to tell you is not completely true, okay? I mean, there might be a hint of truth sprinkled in there, but what I'm gonna say right now, pretty much I'm gonna be lying to you, okay? I'm gonna deceive the tar out of you right now. They don't do that. What they do is they're sneaky, they're tricky, they're elusive, and often truth is sprinkled in in such a way that people fall prey to the lies. And destruction always follows. And that's why Paul is warning them so strongly. 
Why so I want to warn ourselves as well. We live in a world today that is filled with deceit coming at us from every angle you can think of. The enemy's lies and deceit are hitting us from every direction. From television, from radio, from podcasts, from YouTube, from internet, from TikTok, from books, from magazines, and on and on I could go. We're being hammered by it over and over, day after day, week after week, year after year. And here's what I see happening. Because we are hammered by it day after day, I see a weakening. I see a softening. I see a breaking down of the walls. Our conscience is starting to be hardened or seared to where what we saw as sin against God before isn't so much sin anymore. We tend to be a little bit okay with it now. Things that before we would have been vehemently against, we don't seem to have a problem with now. Living together outside of marriage, sex outside of marriage, the Bible clearly tells us it's sin. It's falling short of what God wants for you in your life. And yet Christians seem to be okay with it now watching stuff on television that is so against Jesus, so against what is holy, so unrighteous, and yet we watch show after show after show of it. We don't seem to have a problem with it. And we tend to let things slide that we really should not let slide. And I've used this analogy many, many times here as I preach a sermon, but if we were to look at that wall, and that wall represented God in all of his holiness, And remember, holy means to be set apart. That's God over there. And that wall over there represents the world and all of its sinfulness and darkness. What we Christians tend to do, what the church tends to do, is rather than look that way, we look that way. And we look at the world and we say, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. At least I am not way over there. The problem is, is the world keeps going that direction. And we kind of keep shifting with them. And we keep saying, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. At least as I'm not as bad as them. Man, they are some really bad people. The problem is we're getting further and further away from who? God. What we should be doing is looking this direction and saying, God, oh my word, you are holy. And we're supposed to be aiming at that. The word of God several times says, be holy as your heavenly father is holy. That's the direction we're meant to look. And guys, I'm just being honest with you. I'm not trying to stand up here trying to act all holy with you, with you with this. The reason I bring this up is because I've seen it happening in my own life. It's scary. The enemy is deceitful. We must never forget that God is holy, and so therefore, we must be holy. Amen? Be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. Let's aim for that, Whitestone. Now, Paul wraps it up by, by saying, but you know what, guys? Even though I'm warning you of all this stuff, and even though... I'm not with you in person. I want you to know I'm with you in spirit. And I know that you stand firm in Christ. And he's actually very proud of the Colossians church, even though he's warning them of the dangers. And I love those passages there. All right, guys, I know that was a lot, and I know I ran long. It's a lot of verses to cover. I'm sorry. But hopefully we're able to take it all in and understand them. And to help with that right now, I'm going to read to you last week's passage and today's passage We're gonna dim the lights, we're gonna play some quiet music, and I want you to just close your eyes, practice the presence of Jesus, and allow the Spirit of God to have some space in your mind right now, and let him speak to you through these words, through his word of God, okay? So let's just quiet ourselves and just practice God's presence.
Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies. Enemies in your mind, enemies in your behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body, dying a physical death on a physical cross. He reconciled you through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation, if you continue in the faith, if you remain established and firm, and if you do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you've heard. This is the gospel that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. And this is the gospel of which I, Paul, have become a servant. I want you to know I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's suffering. I'm doing this for your sake. I'm doing this for the sake of his body, which is the church. And I've become a servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in all of its fullness to present to you the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations. But now it's being disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's the one we proclaim, admonishing everyone, teaching everyone, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I struggle. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you, for those at Laodicea, for all those who I've not even met before. My goal is that all of you may be encouraged in heart, knitted together in love, so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, which is Christ Jesus. Because in Jesus Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Listen, I want you to know this, even though I'm absent from you in body, 
I'm present with you in spirit. And I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ Heavenly Father, thank you for your words. And God, I pray these words for the Whitestone family. I pray that we would be knit together in love. I pray that we would have a full understanding of the mystery that you kept hidden for ages so that we might have a full assurance. I pray that you would protect us from evil and evil people, protect us from false prophets and false teaching and the lies that this world continually pounds on us day after day. God, may we be firm in our faith. May we seek you. May we be holy as you are holy, Father. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Let it be so. Amen. Guys, love you so very, very much. Have an amazing week. If anybody would like to be prayed for, please come up to the corners. These people would love to do that with you. Otherwise, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.